Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Which almost episode 260. Hey, my witchers, I'm Hayut, and I'm so happy to be here today with you. Lucas Wood, my guest today, was 17 years in Wall Street before he left to manage his own consultant company, and he said, The biggest reason that businesses fail is that the founder didn't have enough money to pay their own bills. Lucas is working with entrepreneurs and has some very interesting recommendations for business owners. I think you would love hearing this interview with him. For over 17 years, Lucas Root led numerous teams on Wall Street. After establishing a consistent track record of success, Lucas started his own consulting business. Lucas works with strong brands with a well-founded great idea who doesn't quite know how to execute. Since early 2019, Lucas has had a wonderful opportunity to speak to numerous audiences in North America, Australia and Europe, as well as partner with both businesses and VCs for mentoring. Lucas Wood, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi! Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And I just shared with our audience, our listeners, what you've done until now. They would like to ask you what are you doing and most passionate about today, and where are you heading? Mm, fun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I was on Wall Street for 17 years. I was doing mergers and acquisitions. I was the, I was the guy... Um, who did the operation strategy on the back end of a merger that, you know, that put the two companies together and make sure everything worked. It was amazing work. It was a lot of fun. Sounds good. While I was doing that, I always had like a side project. Everybody has a side project, right? <laughs> I, I, I also had side hustles. Um, my first two side hustles were uh, real estate businesses, and, and they were great. Um, and they succeeded tremendously, except I didn't make any money. Oh. <laughs> They did what I wanted them to do, except make me money. They improved some neighborhoods. They, you know, they, I built a company around them. Um, you know, I, I provided a good life for some people. It was fantastic. Um, all except for, you know, it wasn't profitable. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I realized I needed to redefine what success was. And of course, this was a side hustle. Um, and like everyone, I wanted my side hustle to allow me to retire, but I, I realized I needed to redefine what success was for me. So my third side hustle was actually a food blog oh. um, where I wrote recipes and I wrote about food and I, I shared my passion with the world and it was wildly successful. Wow. Um, In terms of uh, profit as well? I, I didn't make any money, but but it, it was an experiment to see what new versions of success could be. My, my real estate businesses. My focus was to make profit, and they failed. So I, I needed to find some other version of success and see if I could create that for myself. I love that. 
So yeah. it was a great success. It was amazing. I at its peak, and I I only ran it for about three and a half years. Um, it, it's still alive and still out there, but I haven't written for my my food blog in over five years now. Oh. I ran it for about three and a half years, and um, at its peak, I was reaching you know ten thousand people a month. Wow, amazing! Which is amazing. It's amazing. amazing. <laughs> no, I I didn't take the time to figure out how to turn that into profit because it really was just about creating a conversation with with a market right um and and carrying that conversation forward in a way where um people were excited to show up and that was the version of success that i wanted to create now again it didn't pay me any money but that wasn't the point and after that yeah, the, the next thing, once I was satisfied that I knew how to create that conversation, you know, create a conversation with a marketplace and have people get excited to show up and have that conversation with you, yeah. um, I, I decided it was time for truly a something next. And, and, and at this point, it was, you know, both eat in something next, not a side hustle something next. So I left Wall Street. And oh. I, I, as I say, I hung up my shingle as a consultant. Okay. And Part of what I did while I was doing this is I sort of distilled down into a very, very um, consumable bite-sized chunk exactly what it is that I thought that my Wall Street bosses were hiring me for. What was I really, truly getting paid for, right? Because there's the work that you do, and then there's what you're getting paid for, and those are not always the same thing. Right. Fun thing to think about. People should slow down, take a moment, and think about just that, the work that you do. And what you're getting paid for are not always the same thing. I I went through that exercise in my mind to really understand what am I getting paid for. And that's the thing I started selling as a consultant, and it worked. It was great. And part of that was because I had created within me that skill set for having a conversation with the marketplace and having people excited to show up and have that conversation. Because ultimately, in order to be a successful business owner, and all entrepreneurial endeavors are business owner endeavors, right? You're building a business. So um, in order to be a successful business owner, you must be able to create a conversation with a marketplace and have people excited to show up and have that conversation with you. At its very core, that's what it is to be a business. That's right. So how did you do this shift? Yeah. First, I figured out what it is that I was being paid for. And it turns out that I was being paid to, I, I, I called myself an operational strategist, and in fact, I still do, but I wasn't actually being paid for strategy. I was being paid for execution. I was being paid to take a strategy because, you know, all C-suite executives, for the most part, are capable of putting together a strategy. They all are. They, you don't get there unless you're you're a strategic person. Um. Now, they were entrusting that task with me, but it wasn't actually what I was getting paid for. What they were paying me to do was to take a strategy that we together came up with and to execute that strategy, to go out into the business, to to find the groups that were going to make it possible, to rewrite job descriptions, to rewrite, you know, operational procedures and processes to help people understand and sell them into the new way of doing things. That's what a merger is. That's what we're doing, right? What they were paying me for wasn't project plans. It wasn't documentation. It wasn't thousands and thousands of emails, all of which is work that I did. But that's not what I was getting paid for. It's just work that I was doing. 
I was getting paid to execute a strategy. So interesting. It's so interesting to find out uh, and to define those two as different things, what I'm working mm-hmm. for and what I'm getting paid for. Mm-hmm. It was a hard lesson for me. Why is that? It was a very hard lesson. I wasn't getting paid to build my team. I wasn't getting paid to be a manager. I wasn't getting paid for operate, you know, HR, um, having conversations with my team members. Of course, it's work that I had to do in order to be able to do what I was getting paid for, execute a strategy. I had to have a team that was working alongside me that trusted me to lead them through this process. I had to have a team that trusted me to make sure that they were well taken care of by the corporation. Work that I had to do, it was work that needed to be done, but it wasn't, that's not what I'm getting paid for. I wasn't getting paid to be a manager. Why was it hard? I was getting paid to execute a strategy. Why was it was hard? It's a, it's a, it's a hard, this is a hard question and a hard answer. It's a hard answer because it's hard for people to hear this. It was hard for me to hear this. It's because managing a team isn't actually very valuable. Hmm. That's a hard thing to hear. It's a hard thing for me to hear. It was a hard thing for me to learn while I was understanding this. Managing a team is not very valuable. It may be something that has to be done, needs to be done in order for my true value to the business to be able to come out, right? Executing a strategy. You may need to manage a team for that to be possible, but it's not the team management that is valuable. It's actually a relatively low value skill set in the marketplace. Hmm. You know, go Go on Glassdoor.com and take a look at what managers get paid. Um, you might be surprised by how small that number can be. <laughs> mm. And that was true for me, too. It was a hard thing for me to understand. I wasn't valuable because I was managing a team. I wasn't valuable because I had people that loved me, that were following me, that trusted me to take care of them in the marketplace. I was valuable just because I could take a strategy and I could I could get it done. I could execute that strategy. I could consistently, repeatedly go into these businesses and put them together, stitch them together so that they succeeded as a single business after I was finished. That's it. That's all that mattered. Which is an amazing capability. I mean, I think well, thank you. you should be proud of being paid for such um, a capability. Thank you. I am proud of it. And I loved it. It was great work. Hmm. Tell me a bit about uh, what are you doing today and how is it connected to uh, what you get paid for? Hmm. So I, I launched my consulting company and I was really focused just on the thing that I got paid for at Wall Street. I am able to take a strategy and get it executed. And I found a couple of clients very quickly. I mean, I had to make hundreds of phone calls, you know, call everybody in my network. But but I really only had to call everyone in my network to get clients. My first and still longest client was the Pokemon company. A name most of your listeners probably recognize. Probably. I recognize that. Pikachu. (laughs) (laughs) And, And they hired me exactly for what I thought that people wanted to hire me for. They wanted to be able to come up with a strategy. And this is what they are good at. They come up with strategies and they need someone else to execute it. They don't they don't want to do it themselves, which is very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. And they hired me to do that. 
to execute the strategies they would come up with, you know, to give them constructive feedback. Say, yeah, it's a good strategy and here are some things you might want to consider and, and then let's go do it. That was six years ago. I've been with them for six and a half years now. Um, it's been great. But having um, the freedom from some of the other things that I wasn't getting paid for, right? It was work that I had to do, but I wasn't getting paid for it. And, and that's corporate politics, right? And people understand corporate politics, where you you're dealing with lots of different personalities. You you have to you have to manage up. You have to manage sideways. You have to manage a whole bunch of relationships. I'm now a consultant. I'm external. So the politics that people have to play inside a company, I don't have to play those anymore. It's not even in fact useful. It frees me up. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, I've started thinking about. You know, a follow-on to that conversation. What is it that I get paid for? And then what is the stuff that I have to do in order to keep getting paid for what I get paid for? Mm -hmm. um, I started thinking about that in terms of billable time and non-billable time. It's a very consultant approach to things, right? Billable time, non-billable time. Mm -hmm. Some of my non-billable time from before when I had a job, you know, I was working in corporations and I had a team. Some of that non-billable time has gone away completely. The politics is a good example. Um, some of it has not. And so, you know, when you're networking with your colleagues and, and going out to coffee dates with your boss's colleagues and your boss and, you know, your team, the networking work that you do inside a corporation, it's still work that I do now, but I think of it as business development. The irony is... Even when you're inside a corporation and you're networking with your colleagues and your boss's colleagues, that's still business development. You just don't think of it that way. Hmm. That's right. Um, fun, fun little shift. So um, some of that non-billable time has gone away. And instead of replacing it with more business development work, which I could, I could do, I've started replacing it with passion projects. Hmm. And this is the fun stuff I think that you want to talk about, some of my passion projects. So what are your passion projects? Mm. So uh, I've um, I've partnered with um, a an MBA a university, the NCED University, which is one of the largest MBA programs in, in the world, in fact. Um, and they strongly encourage their students. Many of the students go out and get industry experience before they come back and get their MBA from NCED. They strongly encourage their MBA students to start a business while they're going through the MBA program so that they can test out the things they're learning in the program real time live in their own business that they started. And they support them with this program called the Launchpad. So any of your people could go look this up, NCAD University's Launchpad. I volunteer for NCAD University's Launchpad as a business mentor. And, you know, these, every year they have, you know, 15, 20, 500 new businesses that are getting started by their um, MBA students. And I'll go and I'll work with a very small group of them, let's say five of them. Yeah. Um, I started doing that four years ago. I've been doing it ever since. Uh, but three years ago, I decided, for better or worse, I'm doing good things here, but, but I think I can focus more and maybe the, the, the value that I'm bringing to the world could be leveraged, right? And leverage is a term that all entrepreneurs focus on. How can I leverage this 
passion project and turn it into something that's much more powerful. And so I started focusing on women entrepreneurs. Hmm. I'm smiling because I'm a mentor for women entrepreneurs. So uh, it's nice to hear about somebody else that's focusing on that. Yeah, amazing. Uh, I know that I'm the one being interviewed, but do you mind me asking a question? Sure. Um, certainly, I'm going to answer this too, but why is it that you are focused? Okay, why is it that you are focused on women? Um, I'll be honest here. First of all, I was asked to. And mm-hmm. secondly, I've been working with entrepreneurs for 14 years. And I find it very um, challenging for women to succeed as entrepreneurs for several reasons, not only because of the society or because of other entrepreneurs or because of the venture capitals, also because of themselves. So um, I found it something that we should uh, fight for. I think we should encourage women entrepreneurs to go with their dream and succeed. Yeah, me too. So why did you start to focus on women entrepreneurs? Um, truly by accident. I wish I had a different answer, but it, it was an accident. Um, I, I do a huge amount of reading. Uh, you know, I've started seven different businesses of my own, and so I, I, I pay attention to the way that businesses start and startups succeed, how, you know, what, what's the path to success for as much as I possibly can. I read a lot. And I noticed in 2018, a little over four years ago, I noticed that um, most of, and I just noticed this, I mean, certainly the data has been out there, but this is one I noticed, that, that most of the founders were men. Right. Uh, in, in fact, a, a vast majority of the founders were men. So I, it just popped into my head, hey, you know, 90% of these founders are men, which is crazy. That's not what it should be. Um, and so I started looking into the data. Um, and all the data that I could find on women entrepreneurs suggested that there is really significant barriers to, to success for women, huge barriers. Um, and I wasn't happy with that. this. I don't, I don't want to be in a world that, that creates extra barriers for women. That's not okay with me. Mm-hmm. Um, here are some of the numbers that I noticed. In 2015, VCs in the United States funded, um, you know, all, of all of their VC funding, 95% of VC funding went to male mm-hmm. leaders, male founders, and only 5% of VC funding in 2015 went to female leaders. Five percent. That's that's horrible. That's been. Uh, I mean, there it can't possibly be that only five percent of good ideas come through female leaders. That's that that doesn't make any sense at all. Hmm. Um, so I started looking at female leaders in the Dow. You know, the the, the publicly listed companies in the Dow. Uh, it turns out that of the top five hundred publicly listed companies, only eighteen of them are female CEOs. Hmm. Eighteen out of five hundred. Um, it's an embarrassingly small number, okay? So so then I'm, I'm curious, if only 18 out of those 500 are female leaders, maybe there must be some data that suggests that, that female leaders are not as effective as male leaders, right? There must be. So I looked at the data. It's the opposite. 
it's a very small sample size, so it's hard for us to draw real meaningful conclusions on this, but those 18 women are 32% more profitable than their male counterparts. 32% more profitable. Wait, so there are basically no women CEOs, but the few that we have are 30% more profitable? I, this, this, is, this is crazy. It is. I mean, really, this is crazy. Like, if, 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 if any board out there, if any board out there knows a path in order to get 30% more profitable, they should be going after that as hard as they possibly can. So I started looking at the boards. How many women are sitting in board seats? Well, it turns out that 80% of board seats are male. Only 20% of board seats are female. Huh. So, so maybe... Maybe I need to do something about this. Maybe I need to tell people what I'm seeing in these numbers. Maybe I need to 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 work with female founders and help them be more successful. If for no other reason than because I have something to add and I care. Uh, now, why do I care? Well, um, there's the obvious reasons. You know, I, I have a mother, I have two sisters, I have a wife. This matters to me, that they feel like they live in a world that supports them. That matters to me. Um, but it's more than that. It's not just that. That that matters. It does. Um, but it's more than that. Um, we all know the saying, a rising tide lifts all ships, right? Well, it seems to me like there's an enormous opportunity for the tide of women leadership to rise right now. And I'm a selfish person. I am. Um, and I want my ship to be lifted. If a rising tide lifts all ships, and there's huge opportunity for the female leadership tide to be lifted right now, that seems like that's the best place for me to improve my own life. Interesting. It seems a little bit weird to hear this, but imagine if, if women can contribute to such an incredible extent. I mean, 32% more profitable. Now, who knows if that'll hold it. At 50-50 with leadership, we don't know, but but geez, I really want to go find out. Let's get to 50-50 and see what happens. Hmm. If women can contribute at least as well as men, if not better, I want more companies with female leaders. I want more women to be startups and, and bring ideas into the marketplace. And it seems to me like the best way for me to have the kinds of technology improvements that I love in my life now continue to happen, the kinds of medical improvements continue to happen, the kinds of education changes that could be occurring continue to happen. The best place for me to contribute to that is to help create an environment for women where they feel safe and supported in their efforts to create new startups, to bring their idea to the market so that I can benefit from that. That's um I think you can hear my passion, huh? I can hear your passion, and it's it's amazing, it's beautiful. And um, I want to ask you, as an entrepreneur, what would be your best advice to? Let's go with your uh, words to any woman entrepreneur that's listening to us right now. Mm, I love it. Yes, please. Um, and this is true not just for women. This is true for men too. Um. The greatest barrier to any kind of entrepreneurial success, any kind at all, 
whether it's a woman leader or a male leader, it doesn't matter. The greatest barrier to any kind of success is getting started. So number one, get started, go out, start your idea, bring it to the market, find a team that believes in you and supports you and just start doing something, anything. Don't get stuck in analysis. Don't get stuck trying to create some version of perfection. Just get started. That's number one. Number two, the biggest reason that businesses fail is not the thing that you see in the newspapers. The newspapers are lying to you. The magazines are lying to you. The entrepreneurship books that you're buying from Barnes & Noble is lying to you. Hmm. The biggest reason that businesses fail is that the founder didn't have enough money to pay their own bills, their rent, their food, their cell phone. The founder didn't have enough money to pay their own bills for at least two years when they started. So what can be done about that? So... Make sure, number one, that you have a plan in place to have your bills paid. Because let's be honest, your business is probably not going to be ready to pay your bills for you in the first two years. Yeah. So have a plan in place to have your bills paid. Maybe live with your parents, maybe live with a friend, or have a co-founder who has a job so that you two can share a an apartment, you two can share some grocery bills, one of you is supporting the other. Find a way to make sure that your bills are paid for at least two years and be realistic about it. It's not going to be six months. It's going to be two years. <laughs> right. And do that ahead or before starting your entrepreneurial journey. That's right. Right. Those two things, get started, have a plan in place to pay your bills. Those two things are the two biggest reasons why entrepreneurship doesn't work. And if you can overcome those consistently, if you can get started and you have a plan to pay your bills, you've got a future. And I want your future to come into the world. I want you to bring your idea out. I want you to test it and see if the market is excited about it. Because if it's not this one, it's going to be the next one. And if it's not the next one, it'll be the one after. I've started seven businesses and not every one of them has been profitable. And I'm not done. <laughs> I'm not done. I'm going to keep starting businesses. I'm going to keep helping entrepreneurs because that's the world I want to live in. Beautiful. Um, you've got successes. We already started to hear about them, and uh, I'll ask you about your successes in a minute. But I want to ask you what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most? Mm. Wow. <laughs> um, okay. One of my first businesses was a real estate business, as I mentioned. And um, it was amazing. I, I, I had a really cool idea. I was a, a, a really smart analyst. I, I found a market where I could invest a certain amount of money, and that money would turn into a profitable opportunity really very quickly. Um, And this doesn't always exist. You're not always going to find this. The, the mistakes that I made, I made two big mistakes with that business. These are both important. Number one, I, by the way, I started, right? I did the thing and I had my bills paid because I was working on Wall Street. I had, I had a good job that was paying my rent and paying for my groceries, right? So I had those two things covered, the things that I just mentioned to you. Um, Here are the big mistakes that I made. Number one, I went in from an analyst perspective, and, and I didn't learn my lesson from this business. In fact, I did two in a row. I, I picked out something that should be profitable. Real estate, I mean, you know, if you look at the market, 
people who invest in real estate are are vastly the majority of new millionaires year after year after year. So real estate is working for people and it's working well. I went into real estate because I could see the numbers and the numbers made sense to me. Well, if other people are getting rich on real estate, then I can too, right? Right. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. My first mistake was that. I went in because of the profit potential, not because of my passion for the business, not because it was something that I love. Right. So that was my first mistake. And that led me to my second mistake. My second mistake was this. Since it was a business that I didn't love, I didn't want to be in the business. I didn't want to be in the details. I didn't want to be elbows deep in everything that was going on in that business every step of the way. So I hired a manager, and you're going to have to hire people in your business too. Almost every business grows to the point where you can't handle everything. But I hired a manager early because I just didn't want to be in the details. Okay. And that manager understood what I was doing, recognized it, he saw an opportunity. His opportunity was, if I'm not paying that close attention, he can steal from me. Oh. And he did. He stole from me. And it didn't matter. The business was so, the foundation of the business was so strong that I could afford to have him steal from me. But here's the thing. If somebody's stealing from you, they're going to create toxic culture in your business. They're going to, they're going to poison your business from the inside. And so even though I could afford to have him stealing from me, on the numbers side, and here we are, back to the numbers. I'm looking at the numbers, the numbers make sense, but I couldn't see the human side. I couldn't see the fact that I wasn't passionate about the business and what that created, right? I couldn't see the fact that he was stealing from me and what that created, the result of that, the human side of this. And the human side was I had created a business that was rotten from the start. And it wasn't actually even his fault. I created this scenario. Mm. And that was my mistake. What a brave story. I mean, the brave part is telling the story. Thank you. Um, yeah, I hope people learn from it. My, and, and, you know, I did two real estate businesses back to back. And I had the same problem in both of them. The problem was I didn't want to pay attention to the details because I didn't love the business. I just loved the numbers. Now I I understand your um, previous story about defining success, what success means to you, Mm -hmm. because you didn't find your passion in real estate. It's interesting. Yeah. Now... I would like you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success, probably as a result of uh, something you did right with your customers or from any other reason. Oh, cool. Thank you. Um, <laughs> still, to this day, uh, landing the Pokemon company as, as my client is my greatest success. They're, they're still my largest client. They've been with me the longest. They created the opposite in my consulting business from what I had created for myself in my real estate business. I, I brought not just the thing I was getting paid for by Wall Street, but the net result of 17 years of fine-tuning and honing my skills and my passion for 
understanding the way organizations fit together, understanding the way processes work, and being able to rebuild things, re-engineer a business from the ground up. That passion for being able to, to take something apart and put it back together again. And I brought that to market, and the Pokemon company was the first customer to say, yes, I want that. I like that. I like the idea of that. I like you doing that for us, um, and I'll buy it from you. Right, and they they bought my consulting from me. And to this day, that still is my greatest success was was putting that together and then having a customer say, "Yep, that's what I want." Well, I want to ask you, how would you define your consultancy? I mean, what do you offer to businesses, to startups? Mm-hmm. Um, to startups, nothing. Uh, when when I work with startups, I I'm I'm not a consultant. I'm a mentor, and I don't charge. There's no, you know, the, the people that I choose to work with, they don't pay me for that. Um, so I don't, I, you know, what I offer them is anything they want. <laughs> I understand the way businesses work in a, in a way that few other people do, right? I understand it as, a, as an engineer who has seen it from small to large, um, inside out, uh, with, with really incredible depth. The, the mergers work that I did on Wall Street is it, it allowed me to see a huge amount of the things that, that work and the things that don't. And what people carry along as baggage and think that it's valuable. And then the work that I did on myself in order to be able to become a consultant was the same. I was, I was re-engineering Lucas Root. I was re-engineering myself to understand what is valuable, what is, what is bringing value to the world, and what is the things that I'm just carrying along. And maybe it's not valuable, and maybe it's even negative. And and having honest conversations with myself about that. And it wasn't just about my job or my passion or my skills. It was also about my entrepreneurship, the businesses that I had built, and the way that I had built them. And that that's what I bring to entrepreneurs when I when I work with them as a as a mentor is is that 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 really deep understanding of the work that I've done on myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a consultant, what do you offer to these kids that you work with? I call uh, myself an operations strategist. I work with brands who don't execute. The Pokemon Company is a good example. The, the executives of the Pokemon Company like to come up with business ideas. Really? Uh, you know, a new business, a new product, a new approach to the world, a new way to, to sell their cards or to... to um, leverage their digital assets, maybe their videos or movies or their TV shows, whatever it is. Um, that's what they like to do. And then once they've come up with an idea and they've gotten to the point where they're really ready for that idea to come out into the world, they really don't, they themselves, they don't want to be the ones that execute. Mm. They don't want to be the ones that figure out how to make it work. They really just want to pass it off to somebody else. So Pokemon Go, one of the most extraordinary video game success examples that, that I can think of. Pokemon Go is a perfect example of that. Um, the, the Pokemon company in partnership with Niantic, which is the, the video game developer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, the Pokemon company didn't want to do the video game work. They, they wanted to partner with somebody else and have them do the work. Um, and, and they both succeeded tremendously because of that approach. Pokemon you know, they, they, they focused on their strengths, which is building their brand, building their brand assets, building the, 
the storylines and the characters, and they passed off the execution of that to the Niantic company to build the game and to be great at what they themselves do, Niantic build games, put the game out into the marketplace. And so um, that's an example of how I work with the Pokemon company with my other clients, where they'll come up with an idea that they don't know how to execute. Mm-hmm. And and some entrepreneurs will go figure it out. They'll go figure out how to execute that idea and they'll do it themselves. And that's great. I love it. And I love those people who do that. The Amazon company is an example of that. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. They're not my customer. <laughs> the Amazon company, they would never call me. They would never hire me. They're not my customer. They're not interested in me. They want to figure it out and they want to execute it themselves. And I love that. The Apple company mm-hmm. is a perfect example of someone who is my customer, just like Pokemon. They want to come up with an idea and they want someone else to do it. They want someone else to figure out how to execute it. They want someone else to figure out how to bring it to market, how to manufacture, how to get the pro- the, you know, the product from the manufacturer to stores to the consumer's hands, how to talk to the consumer and how to bring the consumer into that conversation. Remember, my my food blog was all about creating that conversation with the marketplace and having them get excited about showing up and having that conversation back with me. Mm. It's the same thing now with the way that I work with my clients. They come up with an idea and they love the idea. They fully understand exactly how they're going to play in that sandbox. But they really want me to be the one built the sandbox. Mm-hmm. Lucas. My final question, before I ask you what is the best way to connect with you, my final question is my mountain question. And as my listeners already know, I've been imagining this journey of entrepreneurship as climbing a mountain. And at some point I started to ask my guests whether they ever climbed a mountain or wished to climb a mountain, or do you have any relationships with the mountains at all? Mm, yeah, I love this question. So, um, in a in a very real and physical sense, I do. Uh, my my wife and I, um, we have a, you know, we have an internal dialogue that we have where, you know, two months, three months goes by, and I start getting, you know, it's we've been together for fifteen years, so we know each other very well. It's not about her, but I'll start getting, you know, um, short, snap, snippy with her. Um, it's not about her. It's, it's about, it's a hundred percent about me. And she'll say to me, you know what? In three months, it's time for you to go get on a mountain. <laughs> and this is true. This is actually what she says to me. Um, and, uh, and she's right. This is, this is what I need. I need to go out into nature. I need to climb a mountain. I need to find some place where I can be a hundred percent alone. You know, the only human for miles. Um, and, and do it for days and just be with nature and, and return to ground, return to the mountain, return to the elements. Uh, and this is a part of how I keep myself connected to the earth, you know, connected to, to where we come from and, and, uh, what, what makes it possible for us to be us. Wow. What a beautiful answer. About my mountain question, I'm really happy that you answered that. Thank you. Lucas, what would be the best way to connect with you for 
any of our listeners that would like to be in touch? Uh, my, my website, lucasroot.com, uh, is probably the best place to find me. You can get on my mailing list there. I have a, a nice little free download that talks about some of the stuff we just mentioned. For, you know, if you're going to start a business, here are four things that you need to do to make sure that you have some chance to succeed. And, and I mentioned the first two, get started, make sure you've got your bills paid. Um, and there are two more in there as well, and it talks about them. Um, so, you know, go to my website, download the free download, get on my mailing list. Um, and then I'm very active on Instagram and LinkedIn. In both cases, my username is LukeRoot, L-U-C-R-O-O-T, just because LucasRoot was taken. So you can, you can find me on either of those at LukeRoot. And that's good. And we will have those links in the show notes of this interview. Lucas, I would like to thank you so much. I really enjoyed that conversation conversation so much. So thank you for coming here today. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Mm, take care. And it's really a very interesting opportunity to know you. So thank you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.